I'll be shaking my head when we go live. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the UESP podcast. I'm your host, as always. And as always, we had a little bit of technical troubles to start off the show here today. But I think we're good now, and everybody can hear us fine, so we should be good to go. So, A uh, moose knocked down the server, sorry. A moose knocked down the <laughs> server? I assume that's what happens up in it does happen Canada. In Canada quite often. <laughs> the moose just actually fun story before we get started. My brother had a professor up in Thunder Bay who would tell the story about he thought students um, like took a baseball bat to his car, but they found out it was a moose that saw its reflection and totaled his car in the parking lot. <laughs> and they have it on security camera, and it was hilarious. It's incredible. Also, I, Thunder Bay is a real place, which is also incredible. Yeah, Thunder Bay, Ontario. I know a guy from, from Texas who hit some kind of creature whilst driving, and it went through the windscreen. And it was... But, but, buffalo, maybe? It was some huge It could thing. be a buffalo was, in Texas. Yeah, well, it was a huge thing, and he was allowed to uh, take it home and make steaks out of it. Yeah, that's a normal nice. thing. Like, if you kill the animal... With your car, it's still it's your animal. That's the third form of hunting. There's the time where you sit there and wait for them. There's the stalking kind where you go catch them, and then there's the run them over with your car type. It's a very expensive form of hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. it is. Anyway, but it doesn't have. So to now that season. we've learned everybody's favorite hunting techniques, uh, why don't we go around <laughs> the panel and introduce everybody? Lost, could you give us a little bit of summary of what you do and who you are? Sure. I go by Lost in Hyrule. I've been working on the UESP wiki for about a year, using it much longer, and been on the Discord for about the same amount of time, and I serve as a moderator over there now. Awesome. And AKB, want to tell us who you are and what you're doing right now? I'm playing ESO at night, which is literally unplayable, but as I managed to convince my fellow hosts of before the uh, show crashed. I yeah, disagree. He just died to a random wasp. Clearly the game cannot be played. Yeah. No. Awesome. And Alara, who is it that you think you are? I've edited the wiki for a couple of years, and I'm an admin of the forum and Discord, and I do some of the social media. Awesome. And Baratron, back from a couple of weeks off on vacation. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am the guildmaster of the ESO Guild on the PC Mac server north american version i also play a bit on the european version um i'm an admin on the discord i do some interviewing of people and sometimes i do tweeting as well and other duties as assigned <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind pretty a, much it's kind of all of us are kind of just like what do you do the dog's breakfast whatever yeah, seems yeah. to be needed today um, yeah, and as always, I'm Pylon, the host of the show for tonight, and we're going to be doing a bit of a deep dive into Elsewhere as we go further on. We figured next week being the chapter release, it'd be good to, for anybody who's not quite familiar with everything that has to do with Elsewhere, myself included, that we do a little bit of a deep dive and learn a bit more about what's new and the people there, the land there, and kind of like the mythology that exists around Elsewhere. So that'll be later in the show, but for now, we're going to jump over to the news. AKB, I guess. Yeah, so we have I a little news. bit of news. AKB has our first uh, bit of news about UESP itself. Do you want to explain what changes are happening on UESP? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> As you remember. <laughs> I remember that because I wrote it. 
that that's different. <laughs> and we were accusing so, Alara of being uh, on the skooma there, but I think it's AKB. So here's the thing. Uh, the UESB is famous for its online Google Maps, but that's going to change because we are going to switch over to our own code. So they'll no longer Ooh. be Google Maps, but our own UESB coded maps. So we're not going to MapQuest? MapQuest, I, is that still a thing? It's still a thing, by the way. I looked it up the other day, and you can still print <laughs> off the directions and everything like you used well, to. We'll, well, we'll have to agree to disagree on that point. So, disagree the, that it still exists? <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's the benefit of, of doing this? Uh, it, won't, uh, it won't cost as much money. And by that I mean it used to not cost any money. But... Google changed their mind about that, and now it's going to cost us $500 a month. But thanks to ESO, we figured out a way to make it ourselves because Google didn't want to support some features we wanted for that map. So we got that working, and if anything, I think it'll be slightly better. Awesome. Nice. To be clear, we have different maps of the various games, and then we were using the Google Map API to make pins to have search functionality and all that stuff, so that just like you would go to Google to figure out where a restaurant is in your town, you could go into Tamriel and figure out where the bar is at in Skyrim, or figure out where a shop is at in Morrowind, that sort of thing. And so we're going to complete overhaul of that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, basically. It's pretty awesome. Awesome. And then... If you notice, uh, the point is, if you notice anything wrong with the maps, please let us know after it's updated, especially if you see no more Google logo on them. Awesome. A little bit of Blades news lost. Do you want to tell us what that update was? The only thing I noticed for Blades over the course of the last week is that they increased the amount of gems that are given for daily and weekly jobs. So two weeks ago, I think we announced that they added gems to those. Now, every time you do a daily job, you get four gems, and every weekly job gives 12. Just a small, consistent source of gem income. That's nice. Yeah, nice to have that. The previous values were quite small, so it's nice to actually have a little bit of an increase there. It's not a ton, but enough. I don't think I have any complaints with that, so that's awesome. Little bit of Legends news I want to pop over to talk to Alara. Do you want to explain what kind of popped up in the dev diary there? Did you see? Um, I didn't actually read that one, so. You didn't get a chance to be better read it. reading that part of it. Well, let's pop back to Lost then. Lost. Sure. So, the, um, I can give you the <laughs> link really quick. I'm not typically the one that copies those, so I'm slower on the Control C, Control V. <laughs> <clears throat> but basically, they were talking about some of the development stuff they went through, and they talked about four specific cards. The first one they were talking about Dominion Queen Iron, which I put the order of those words opposite, <laughs> but Iron Dominion Queen. Um, the Dominion's power is called Empower. It's based on doing damage to your opponent, having an effect, and thus they wanted lots of little pings to your opponent's face to be able to trigger abilities. Um, the card called Dominion Battle Reef has... summon, last gasp, and slay deal one damage to your opponent. When they were first making it, it also had pilfer. And it took one playtest before they realized what terrible mistake they had wrought. (laughs) Because pilfer means 
you hit your person in the face, you get an effect. Yeah. <laughs> if the effect was deal one damage, you now hit them in the face again. Basically, you summoned this card, it was an instant kill. Um, unless a prophecy in some way removed the entire card before it is over, it was an instant kill card. And so they removed Pilfer. And then they event instead took that away from Iron and gave it to Dominion Battle Reef. And then Iron's effect now it involves um, whenever you draw an action, it allows you to deal one damage to your opponent. Or originally, it was just draw a card, deal one damage to your opponent. But they realized there's probably infinite combos here because there's a card called Bandit Ringleader that gives all of your cards pilfer draw a card, which meant Iron pilfered drew a card. Did damage to their face. <laughs> so it caused the exact same problem, but they noticed it sooner for that one. Or recognized it, even though it took more than one card to pull off. So they were just saying how they've got to be really careful and think about a lot of card interactions when they're designing stuff. And it was a fun story. The other thing they talked about is that Abner Tharn and Sai Sahan, those two cards originally were just each other. The name and the art was switched on the entire effect. So... <laughs> Abner's ability is it was use the summon ability of another creature. And Sai or no, that is the correct one. And then yeah. Sai Sahans is immune to wounded creatures, and when you summon, give all enemy creatures minus one, minus one. Originally they were thinking that use an opponent's strength against itself, that's what a swordsmaster does. And then being immune to the activities of your opponents that's what a political maneuverer does and basically they were like at lunch or something and chatting about it and made a joke saying hey we should switch them and then they realized that it was actually more fitting that turning an opponent's strength against them is a political move and that Sai Sahan should really have the ability of being able to avoid wounded opponents because he took down two armies single-handedly so it makes sense that he can come onto a board <laughs> hurt everybody and then nobody else can touch him as he finishes them off so, just a part that even though there's some really cool thematic ideas, there's different ways to think about them, and ultimately they've settled on a really cool way to make it suit the lore better. Yeah, I really like when they add these kind of dev diaries to give a little bit more insight into kind of what they were thinking about doing stuff. It makes more, it makes it you feel more engaged and understand why they made certain decisions in a certain in a certain way. Uh, a lot of the time, I've find like people love speculating about why is it this way why is it this way these dev diaries give a little glimpse into that but not too much that you end up uh missing or like not they don't having any they don't completely the, pull the curtain exactly away. Yeah. just just tiny well, legends developers especially need that in my opinion they really need to make their process more aware yeah. to their community and keep them going like we're actively thinking about this we're trying to make it better you know I think every developer needs more of that, to be honest. More open, honest feedback with the community. It's a double-edged sword because sometimes if you say the wrong thing, then people get mad at you and say, yeah. hey, you promised this 18,000 years ago in this one offhand <laughs> comment. So it's one of those things I can understand why they don't do it a little bit. But yeah, and then we had a couple other – there was an issue with the daily login. You were getting a core pack instead of an alliance pack, which I believe was fixed today or yesterday? They, today? they sent out a free alliance one. Okay. They I sent think out it was safe. Yeah. Yeah, today I actually got that reward, and I did get the correct pack. So um, they did say it's fixed You know, going forward for anyone who hasn't earned it yet. 
Excuse me while I log in to check that. Do, do, do. Yeah. Uh, I got and, the core pack whenever it came out, and then they send you an Alliance one anyway if you had already opened it previously. So I got two packs out of it. That's nice. kind of the best way to have a mistake like that happen when it ends up being in your favor afterwards. And then there is a new patch coming in a couple of weeks now, and they're adding a new starter bundle and pre-constructed Alliance War decks, which I know was a hot topic when the Alliance War expansion came out that they weren't selling the pre-constructed decks. Uh, I know a lot of people were upset about that. So it looks like, are those being added in with kind of like the 1,000 gold and buy this pre-constructed deck? We're not sure what way they're going to do it, but um, they're going to be available whenever the next patch is. They have made the codes available for... um, Yeah, if you wanted to build it yourself. Yeah, you don't get... Yeah, but yeah, you don't get the cards that like you would if you buy a pre-constructed. Yeah, I'll be honest, the pre-constructed decks probably built the majority of my decks for me because I would always just buy those and that was enough to get me in. I was playing (laughs) the other day and my... Um, like without having all the new cards, like my decks just don't seem to cut it anymore. So hopefully they do that and I can buy some new cards and that'll be great. And then other than that, in ESO, we had a little bit of a controversy this week where I believe, did we mention it last week on the show? I think. Um, No, that was afterward. It was afterwards we talked about it. Yeah, so ESO sent out a tweet saying, hey, we've... Uh, put together an amazing tabletop RPG game. Check it out. Uh, the Sorry. The Bethesda Netherlands team has put together an amazing ESO tabletop RPG. Check it out. And they provided a link to a Dropbox uh, folder and let people just download it for free. What didn't? It wasn't a paid adventure or anything like that. We saw it. I think a lot of us saw it. We're like, cool. This is really awesome. And then it kind of was turned out to be that it was actually a plagiarized adventure from D&D 5th edition, 5th edition called The Black Road. Um, so Bethesda pulled it down and issued apology uh, for it. So Bertrand, do you want to go into kind of what the apology seems to have said and what we think kind of happened here? Yeah, you see, I this is pretty weird because the apology actually says our, our intention had been to create and give away a unique elsewhere-inspired scenario that could be played within any popular tabletop RPG rule set. We requested that an original scenario be created and we are investigating why this does not appear to be the case. Now, I don't believe that for one minute. And the reason is that uh, this... Um, tabletop thing was only, I think, like, as you said, it was in a Dropbox. It wasn't on the official website and it was only, it was tweeted about and it was on Facebook. And I think what happened is that the Bethesda Netherlands team ran this game internally. Now, it is totally normal to buy a D&D source book and change the names of people and places to match your scenario. Um, For private use. For private use, exactly. It's an entirely normal thing. And I think somebody saw this and didn't realise what had happened. Somehow this got out to either the Bethesda or the Zoss social media team who thought it was a newly written original adventure, tweeted about it, and then suddenly all hell was let loose when the um, original guys were like, this is terrible. Do you know that um, that the Black Road, it costs uh, $2.54 to buy. (laughs) <laughs> I clicked on the link. So that you know, it's not even very much money, but the fact that, you know, these these poor authors were saying, you know, here is a, a major software company ripping us off. And I think it was created for internal use and 
some mistake happened and there has been some arse covering. Oh, I'm allowed to say that. Backside covering. <laughs> so I, I think I somewhat disagree with that. I think it was intended to be shared. I think it was meant like the reason they put it as very informal out of the Dropbox um, account just so that it would be seen as this informal thing that wasn't a new paid RPG that they were uh, rolling out. And I think they did probably ask someone to make it uh, for them. And I think whoever that person turned out to be was given a deadline, forgot, and then was like, oh, these guys won't know what they're talking about. I'll just grab it from this one and put it in. That's more my feeling of what happened. Uh, I don't know what uh, Lost or AKB, do you guys have any thoughts on that one? That's kind of what my thought is, too. Like, the words, like, we requested. So it does sound like they asked someone to do it. Yeah, so they're either Whether they're... it's internal or external, I have no idea. So, yeah, so either their PR campaign kind of bent or lied in their response back about it, or they did intend it to be something that the public received. They just didn't know how they didn't go in and check to make sure it was a legitimate thing, which I mean, at my job, if someone sends me something that they've said they've done, I don't go and fact check to make sure that it's been, that is not a plagiarized source of the report that I was asking for. Like it's not something that would normally I would check into, and if I wasn't, like, I read through the entire campaign, I was like, oh, this looks cool. It didn't look, like, honestly, it didn't look amazing to me. It was like, oh, this looks like a fun little, like, half-hour little scenario that we could run, like, with a few friends and stuff like that. But I didn't think it was, like, this huge, amazing campaign, so. See, the reason why I don't believe that is because of the history of some of the ESO writers. I mean, obviously we had Lawrence Schick, who's now moved on. We've still got Bill Slavishek. We've got um, people who are well-known. But they wouldn't, they're not DMD. tweeting. They're not the ones on the no, social they're not media tweeting. team. They're not, exactly. So... But it means that um, if, I, I think if an actual D&D person had been contracted to write this, it would have been done through those contacts. I mean, here's the thing about that that was the weirdest thing to me is the fact that Tamriel is a world with, like, a million different adventures already written about it. I mean, not literally a million. Like, I uh, posted uh, the other day that uh, the UESB's lore library is, o has, is over a million words in length. It's one of the long... Uh, there's more Elder Scrolls fluff than some of the longest books ever written. So... They had stuff they could have just quickly inserted into for that purpose. So I don't understand why someone's first reaction would be to plagiarize. Like, the work's um, already been yeah. done for you. The only way I can think of it is if it was somebody not in-house writing it up. That's the only way that it makes sense that somebody would plagiarize that to be shared out. Or, I guess, intentionally, like, they wanted to just do a quick one with a bunch of friends and then it ended up getting shared out. But yeah, see, that's that's why I think Those that. are the anyway. two kind of likely scenarios, and I doubt we'll actually really ever find out the true answer to that, because they're going to want to respect people's right. privacies no matter what happens. So, Yeah, we probably won't get further details on it. But no, I, I don't expect to ever case, get... A best-case scenario that I kind of assume is that it was done, like something just thrown together for internal use somebody heard about it said oh that's really cool that you guys played D and in eso why don't you make up an original adventure for us to share and so he tried to clean it up some and share it whether he 
remembered that he copied it from somewhere else. Maybe it was years old at the time. Like, I bet they did ask for an original adventure to share, not knowing what on earth he'd actually run, just hearing, oh, you ran ESO, D&D, that's great. And then that's what got put out. My cat um, cap worked. Very nice. <laughs> the, uh, to my understanding, while the adventure was just straight up a copy of the Black Road, they also put out character sheets for several different um, Tamriel NPCs and made them sort of into the ESO classes. And I believe those were completely original. They, they took the pieces they saw in D&D and adapted them yeah. to make what felt like the appropriate different classes. So like the Dragon Knight had a lava whip as just an action he could always do rather than having the Vancean spellcasting system of D&D. So that stuff was original effort, and it's kind of too bad that's not still available because I think it was not copied. It might be a chance that we get something else again in the future, too. Um, the, the good thing about this story is I think like the social media team responded in the proper way. As soon as they found out about it, they took it down and then they issued an apology. There's not really too much else they could have done in this scenario, mm-hmm. um, especially if they were unaware of it being like, I can't see them thinking it was a good idea to try to pull one over. Like if that's any of the conspiracy theories out there, like, come on, like there's, like, there's no way they tried was... to pull, pull this one over on their professor and plagiarize this edition. Mm-hmm. Like, they know better than that. They know their audience is going to be like, if they were like, oh, we'll just download this one and make some minor changes and no one will know. Ha 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 Like, yeah, there's, this was the chances of that are there. astronomical. There was no directive from Todd Howard and Pete Hines wasn't cackling the night. They have a vengeance against Wizards of the Coast and they thought, this is how they'll get back at them. Ha 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 Yeah. So. And I think one good uh, thing too is that it showed them just how excited everyone is for a um elder scrolls themed tabletop game so maybe there'll be an official thing in the future for all we know and until then feel free to go back to our previous episode where we interview the creator of the unofficial elder scrolls tabletop rpg Mm -hmm. if you want an elder scrolls rpg to play so that's something else you can look at there but on that note i think that is all of our news for this week so we're going to switch over and talk about our scholarly pursuits So we like to take a little time in the middle of our show here kind of to discuss what we've all been up to. Uh, so I want to start with Alara. Do you want to go over what you've been up to other than drinking skooma and <laughs> running from the Imperial Guards because of your illegal activities? <laughs> so I've played a little bit of Blades and Legends, not really anything of note. Um, I also tried several of the recipes from the official cookbook. So I did a really late night live stream the other night and I made um, white river salmon, which is delicious. And it's my favorite recipe in the cookbook so far. And um, grilled leeks, which are also pretty good. And they also tried, well, oh yeah, I made another batch of skooma. So that's right here. (laughs) And um, also tried making um, hunting brew mead and black briar mead. And so I just, uh, yeah, kind of finished uh, sealing those up what, yesterday, day before, something like that. And they're overflowing today, so I'm not really sure what to do with them. <laughs> uh, you could send it over to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just in the mail. It'll, yeah. It'll work. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Uh, Baratron, how about yourself? What have you been up to lately? I have a bad shoulder. It's very sad. 
So I can't really do too much playing because it complains at me. So I have spent the past uh, few days shopping madly in ESO uh, because obviously at the end of the uh, Jubilee Festival, there were many, many items in the shops. There were many cheap motifs. There were many cheap uh, furniture recipes. And I have been buying them. And some of them are going to be uh, raffles for, uh, you know, prizes for the guild raffle. Ooh, that's yes, exciting. indeed. I'll have to submit my tickets to the guild raffle then. Oh yeah, so much, <laughs> so much shopping. I seriously would not believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, some people don't like the idea of there not being a central uh, auction house in ESO. I don't mind the guild traders, especially, I mean, maybe maybe it is harder on the consoles, but on, on PC, it's possible to run uh, an add-on called Tamriel Trade Center. And that, you know, when you go and look at in a in a guild trader, it submits data to a central website that you can then go and look at and you can you know, go and find out where the cheapest... Where's the list? I've got a list here of what I've been buying. Um, I'm fine with the guild trader system. <laughs> Yeah. I definitely okay, so don't think it's great. <laughs> where the where the cheapest pattern Flalu towels folded is, you know, you can go and look it up and then and then go <laughs> to the place. But um and I do like I like the fact that there isn't a fixed price and it doesn't become, you know, everybody selling their Flalu towels folded for the same price. But it does. I mean, you don't realise there's like a hundred and I wanna say hundred and seventy of these things, and if you go around to all of them in a week, it's yeah. quite a long time. It's all fun and games yeah. until you're looking for a specific item to complete a set, and you it's end all up fun going and games to until your shoulder hurts. Yeah, and they have I to go to get... what eighteen thousand different locations, and then oh <gasps> nope, it wasn't there. The website okay. updated too slow. It's already been sold. Okay, try yeah, to go yeah. to this next one. Like yeah, it's got I'm some gonna flaws. I'm going to go get a shot but... in it on on Thursday, and then I should be you know, then I should be able to play again <laughs> the normal way. Yeah. Uh, hey, I play with the controller half the time because I want to play on my TV. So. I actually like the controller mode in ESO. And AKB, how about yourself? Um, the same thing that happens every time I enjoy playing Skyrim. The game just stops working entirely, and I have to format it. <laughs> so I've been just... I was just playing normally. I haven't added any mods recently. Um, I don't even really like playing with many mods that aren't official or basically required, like, the official patches. But yeah, it just, uh, I just logged in one day, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep finding those freaking Creation Club items as boring and tedious as it is, because there are so many of them. And I was just doing that, and I tried to open my inventory to look at it. Game crashed, I'm like, that's weird. Kept trying it kept crashing. I tried multiple different things. I tried loading different save files, disabling different things, reloading those same files. Everything did not work. No matter what I did, it just didn't work. So I eventually just said, it's done. I deleted Skyrim, reinstalled Skyrim, and the moment I did that, the game works again, but I've lost all of my progress once more. Yeah. I always I hate when that happens Sorry, in a single player game like that where you're just like oh and there goes all this work and I have to do all this stuff to get it working again and then you just I have... yeah like I have no clue why it happens to I have no clue why it happens it just it happens very irregularly with Bethesda games that you can have a character hundreds of hours old 
and then it's just gone forever. So this is why I always have multiple save files synced to the cloud. <laughs> and in multiple I, locations, too. So I have all of my save files sync automatically to my OneDrive account, which will then make automatic backups and versioning of it. And then it'll also be synced to the Steam cloud from there so that I can go back and restore the versioning that has been created from it, as well as be able to restore from the Steam cloud. So. Nice. Yeah, but sometimes, we're not sponsored by OneDrive. Yeah. Sometimes you find that the thing that, that made it bug was, was like five hours ago. That can yeah, happen. Yeah, totally. But I also am, again, super anal retentive about those kind of things. So I will make, every time I complete a new whatever I deem to be a milestone in a game, I'll create a new save file. I, I mean, we do that too, but I don't know how my... um. But my original um, Skyrim character, um, which is the one I created my username after, Alara, just spontaneously vanished completely from the Steam cloud and everything. But then I found that I had a backup from an old laptop from like 2013, 2014 or something. And yeah, and I had completed like everything basically on that character. So I'm glad I found that backup because otherwise I would have been completely screwed. People I thought, saying, yeah, that I could just get it from the Steam Cloud too, but it was gone from there. Nothing exists unless it exists in three places. Yep. <laughs> Rule of data. And Lost, how about yourself? What have you been up to? Uh, I've been keeping up just at pace with Blades. I'm level 23 now. I started playing a few rounds of pinball again, which is always incredibly fun. But I mentioned before that I had to start from scratch. I lost my character, which is... So sad. What a and coincidence. I decided that you know, that was because I replaced my phone and the data does not carry over. So mm. that wasn't just a glitch. That was an intentional choice that was made poorly on my part. Did you keep your I, old I, phone or did you have to trade it in? I had to trade it yeah, in. Yeah, darn. I feel like that that regardless, there, no matter what, there should be a small chance of any game based on Bethesda property of like your character and all your progress just disappearing. Like they should just delete one character off of the ESO server every night. But only so if it's terrible. at nighttime, right? Yes. Um, in pinball, I typically play an Argonian in everything I do, but As I, do I calculated out. Um, I need to get to level 80 in the magic skill so that I can unlock the last tier of spells and document them all for the wiki. And I found out that if I play as one of the mage characters rather than a non-mage, I cast 600 fewer spells to get to level 80. So I decided to be a human mage instead of being a lizard like I prefer. Uh, so I'm cooking along there. I'm like level 33 in magic right now and killed a dragon. So I'm going to keep working on that. Yeah. And Also, after the last stream, I started playing Arena again. <laughs> and so but you're not streaming it. a lot of fun. I'm not streaming it. Yet. I I haven't tried that out, but my level three Nightblade is busy ping-ponging around the entire continent of Tamriel. He has all ebony accessories, and I finally was able to find an ebony saber of Passwall. So the only <laughs> thing I have left to find is an ebony buckler, and then I can start really adventuring. Level three, but with the best possible gear, because <laughs> stealing stuff is the best way to live when it comes to arena. No, you could just left it at that. Stealing stuff is just the best way to live. I specifically, Period. as my Argonian Nightblade, went to Drez territory in Morrowind and only stole from shopkeepers there. Because <laughs> they had it coming. Yeah, I can, I can get behind that. 
Yeah, as for myself, I have been, as what I was doing kind of last week, as I've been biding my time before elsewhere, I know I'm going to be diving in and playing pretty hard, which we'll probably be talking about next week quite a bit, as we'll be doing the show on launch day, assuming the servers aren't completely shattered at that time. They'll uh, probably so completely shatter. They're probably going to completely shatter. We're just going to be okay with that. So we'll try we to figure something out. Already? We may have to assume that we'll be on PTS. <laughs> We may be on the PTS, yeah. We may be on the PTS. <laughs> yeah, so we'll probably be playing next week and we'll be talking about that. So I've been taking a little bit of a break from ESO so that I don't kind of get to that burnout territory. So I've been playing a little bit of Blades again, just popping in, doing a few jobs. Still haven't got really much else to do in the game right now, so I haven't been gi- grinding too much, more just picking up some of the jobs and then getting my daily rewards and logging out, kind of the same with ESO. So not too, too much this week. But, which is good, because that gives us more time to do our deep dive, so we're going to move over to that now. (laughs) I like them. So we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Elsewhere lore. There's people there's places there's mythology so we kind of want to go over and we're not going to do a super super deep granular granular dive into it but we're going to give everybody a decent overview of kind of what they can expect out of elsewhere and kind of what things they'll be looking for so i want to start off talking about the land with everybody so what we do know, kind of just going over a total, is elsewhere is split into basically two halves, a northern half and a southern half. The northern half, and forgive me when I pronounce all of these wrong, is Anaquina. Is that what yep, everybody else thinks fine. it is? Mm-hmm. You guys have played PTS, so you might have actually heard it pronounced sometime. But I haven't played enough of the PTS. Most of my PTS time was just leveling up a necromancer and seeing how they felt. Um, sure. So... Anaquina is the northern half of elsewhere, and it's mostly kind of badland, savanna, desert, things like that. And then the southern half is Pelotine, which is a more tropical area with jungles, rainforests, and river basins. So, Beartron, where are we going in the chapter for elsewhere? Uh, we're going to northern elsewhere. Awesome. And uh, they have informed us that the zone features savannas in the east, the scar desert in the west, and the jungles of Tenmar in the south. So it sounds like because of that, we start delving into the region that becomes Pelotine, the Tenmar Forest being one of the most significant jungles in the south. But I guess I'll mention that later. I, I've gone down that south. It's not really what I would personally consider a jungle. So it's like the border of the Tenmar. It's not the entire yeah. area. So it's, it's more plantation. Um, yeah. Like yeah, Cyrodiil a... is honestly, legitimately, probably... More of a jungle than that. <laughs> yeah, so those are the kind of the two halves. I, that's not really as much of a political divide, though. It's more of just like a way that you kind it, of expect it. Kind it of like, is. Well, it is. It is. But is it we'll not more of it. a way like kind of like a in Ontario, Canada, we have Northern Ontario and Southern Ontario. Like it's a known difference, but there's no like firm political geographical reason other than maybe some geographic or not some environmental reasons of why it would be separated so there is a lot of political drama between these two factions that was only resolved by the main 
itself, the original main, going back all the way to the start of modern Khajiit history. Basically, the Khajiit were broken between the more nomadic faction and the more city-dwelling, more stabilized urban faction. And those factions obviously hated each other and were constantly at war uh, for dominance over elsewhere. Now, the main basically went like, we, you guys can basically roll together, just take turns. And <laughs> so that, they went like, and because of that, everyone worships the main as basically a living god. So the Khajiit originally had like 16 different kingdoms. And then over time, especially because of outside influence, political strife happened. They eventually became two kingdoms, the names you mentioned before, Anaquina and Pelatine. And those two were eventually united into the Elsewhere Confederacy. And the name Elsewhere is fun. They have a couple different references to where that came from. But they say that there's an old Khajiiti proverb that says, a perfect society is always found elsewhere. And that's why they gave it the name. We're not sure if that's true or not, but I think it's the most fun answer to give. It's, yeah, I like it. In actuality, it's a kind of protection against in case anyone's trying to rat out the Khajiit, like, oh, who stole this priceless artifact? Oh, uh, they're over at <laughs> in Elsewhere. They're <laughs> Elsewhere. They're Elsewhere. It's not me. It was somebody else. This Khajiit did nothing wrong. So, yeah, oh, go ahead. We'll say the political thing, they are united for the most part, but there's still a cultural difference yeah. where the people who live up north have to live rough lives in a really harsh desert. They think the people of the south living in their cities with their mercantile and agrarian society, they think they're sort of decadent, that they have a relaxed lifestyle, that they're soft. Whereas the people that live in the cities to the south, they view the nomads wandering the rough deserts to the north basically as barbarians. They think they're uncouth. So it's kind of like the Midwest versus the coasts, just <laughs> the opinion that people have of each other. I was going to um, say it's like northern and southern Ontario again, where southern yeah. Ontario, you've got the capital cities and the majority of the population, and then... Up I don't think that the people are going to be Everybody it. understands Canadian geography. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but speaking of geography a little bit more, so there's a number of cities in elsewhere. Um, some that we'll be kind of going to with detail and spending a little bit more time in. Um, Alara, can you kind of give us a brief overview over the top of what are the bigger cities that we're going to be going to? Okay. So um, in the Elsewhere chapter, we're going to see Rimen, which um, has unique history. That may be a loss of the old stock book. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll dive again, into that in a second. Yeah, we'll deal it, yeah. Um, yeah, and then so there's also Orkrest was another kind of major city that we... Where everyone's already died, so they don't actually have to create all those NPCs. Yeah, and they turn it into a public <laughs> dungeon, which makes it a little bit easier. And Riverhold, which is a bit of a smaller area. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's also some areas of elsewhere that we've already been to, such as Reaper, Reaper's March. It's kind of one of the zones in ESO. So we've already pretty familiar with that area. We don't have too many um, too many unknowns with that one. So... Lost, do you kind of want to explain what some of the un, uh, unique history of Rimen is? Sure. So this actually goes down to the Akaviri section a little bit later, if you're fine with me going ahead and just going Go into it. Go for it. it. <laughs> so the area that becomes Rimen is pretty much right on the northern border. It's near Cyrodiil. And the story okay. is that 
during the interregnum, which is the period we're in of ESO, after the Akaviri potentate fell, which was the last remnants of the previous empire, the Akaviri ruled it for a while, and then everything fell to pieces. One of the warlords who basically became a pretender king, he sort of rose to power for a brief amount of time. One of his rallying cries was, let's get rid of the Akaviri. Let's push those people out of here. And so he tried to hunt them down, and they fled to the south. The people of elsewhere granted them asylum, essentially. And so the area of Rimen became very prominent for Akaviri refugees. And they became known as the Rim Men, at least according to one of the pocket guides to the empire. So the region just was ruled mostly by Akaviri citizens who were just living happily in elsewhere for a while. And then going into what's happening in elsewhere, um, a few years, six years before the current time, in 576, Euraxia Tharn, the half-sister of Abner Tharn, who you know from the base game, she led what's called the Frostfall Coup. And she came in and she conquered Rimen and is now working to spread her power throughout more of elsewhere. So the Akaviri, I think, kind of got pushed out. Yeah. Apparently there are some people that we run into who claim to be Akaviri descendants, but that's all we get of them right now. There is a small settlement called Hokkaido where they're hanging out going like, oh, we are the last remnants of Seishi Coaster and all that, but uh, it's kind of it's deliberately pointed out as being kind of weird. Like Something's they're not, not quite right. Yeah, they're not really that heavily related to them because they're the only people the Akaviri could sleep with were Imperials, so they're mostly <laughs> just Imperials. Like there's a few <laughs> that still have Akaviri names and uh their leader says, oh, I can still speak the language, but not very well. So they're not really Akaviri. They're just, they're basically just completely normal Imperial humans. Interesting. So, yeah, and then, so if we go to some of the other areas, we know in Reaper's March, we have Ralka, which is a significant area for kind of the mythology of the Khajiit people, because um, it has the Temple of uh, two Moons Path Temple, or is the, is it the Temple of Two Moons Path or two the, moons path temple, the Two Moons Path Temple? Um, it is the location where the first main came from, which we'll talk about a little bit later when we talk a little bit about the religion and theology of the Khajiit people. Um, and then Lost, I think you added there's a what is the riddle you were mentioning there, Riddle Thar. So that also goes into the religion. The story is that the main, whose name was Ridthar Ridatta, he had what was called the Riddlethar Epiphany, which was revealing this cosmic deity, which they called the Riddlethar, which is just a an entity about order. It's sort of a code that the Khajiit are meant to live by because it's fulfilling their cosmic purpose. So he united the warring factions of Anaquina and Pelatine by making this proclamation and talking about how the moons should govern how they use their society. Which, again, that's slightly later we'll talk a little more about. <laughs> I also just happened to wander into the uh, village uh, populated by the Akaviri descendants, so you can make your own judgment on the fact that they're clearly just Imperials. 
<laughs> you can make your own judgment. They're cosplaying. They're cosplaying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then some, one of the other major areas, I don't know if anybody had any more to talk about, is Torval, which is the capital of Elsewhere. Is that correct? So it's not going to show up during yeah. Elsewhere chapter because it's farther to the south. But if people mention Torval, just keep in mind that's the capital of Elsewhere. That's why it's going to be significant. That's why it might be mentioned. Don't yeah. they? Isn't Torval famous for having like the largest market in like Tamriel? Like you can buy anything there. Like oh, you just want to buy like five hundred corpses? Just go see uh, <laughs> just go see Carl down by the dock. He'll hook you up. I mean, I didn't read that lore book, so that's I've a never heard that, about that's Carl. A, that's a lore thing where like. There is legitimately a city where you can just buy anything from the Khajiit. They do not care at all. Let's look it, this one up. <laughs> I'm not seeing anything like that in the um, our wiki I, page. I'll prove this is a thing later. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. We'll wait for that. Okay. Um, so then the other place that we have that we I know for a fact we'll be dealing with is the Halls of Colossus. So, Baratron, do you want to kind of give an explanation of what the Halls of Colossus is? Okay, so the Halls of Colossus, um, it's kind of interesting because it was constructed long before recorded history, so no one knows the origins. Uh, but people have theories, so, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people in, and I don't mean fans, I mean uh, people living in, in Tamriel. Yeah, in universe uh, theories. In the universe, yes, believe that the Halls of Colossus was built to honour an ancient race of giants, even though they haven't been seen for ages. Um, but if you actually do go into the Halls of Colossus, which obviously you only do if you're a, a hero, explains that the ruins were constructed by an architect known as Theodorus. Um, and people believe that Numidium, the brass god of the Dwemer, is stored inside the halls. So before we go too much further, let's explain a little bit what the Numidium is, because and people, again, oh, no. we're just doing the... A very brief overview of what the Numidium is, just so that we know what kind of that is. It's a smashy robot. There we go. <laughs> See, this is this is amusing because this is where we have to be careful with tenses, because obviously in ESO we're in second era, uh, yeah. five hundred year five eight two five eight three around there. Now at the end of the second era, which is uh, about eight nine six, this is when Tiber Septim or will be granted uh, Numidium, uh, the brass god of the Dwemer, from the tribunal. And uh, the halls of Colossus and the city of Rimen were, or will be, used as a testing ground for Numidium before Tiber Septim will, or would, will. use it to demolish the second ordinary dominion in 2E896. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of... Uh, yeah, spoilers for Queen Aaron. Yeah, spo spoilers for... <laughs> <laughs> That's how that Spoilers works. Oh. Games that came out well over a decade ago. Yeah. Okay. So we now know what the Numidium is. What else is in the Halls of Colossus? And this is very Dragons. prominent to the story of elsewhere. Yeah. Dragons are stored inside. <laughs> Dragons. So Who stored them in there. Why? Baratron. Oh. Uh, Back to well, you again. <laughs> Apparently, during the time of the Sixteen Kingdoms, the Khajiiti hero Kunzari and his followers sealed a group of dragons in there when they threatened to conquer all of elsewhere and consume the lunar energy of the moons. 
obviously the moon's very important for the Khajiit, which as we will talk about soon. Uh, these dragons would or will or were. Uh, it's past know. tense for our game. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, our. Yeah, that, that happens, right? Yeah. So these dragons were sealed into the halls of Colossus for, it says, many years. Whoever wrote this bit of the wiki is like, yeah, yeah, for, for, for centuries. The dragons <laughs> have been in there for a really long time. They were in so there for they're, a bit. They're really quite <laughs> angry. Um, and according to Kashishi legend, uh, the what is in the halls of Colossus is the demon weapon. Um, but I guess a lot of Kashishi at the time of uh, the Elsewhere chapter don't know that they're dragons. They just know there's the demon weapon. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you've played Skyrim, you know dragons are a pretty destructive force and they have a lot of power. So it makes sense that they would just, if they didn't really know much about them, and again, trying to think nobody's Dovahkin really in ESO era, so we don't, they probably aren't able to speak the language of the dragons and don't really know what's happening. So I imagine a lot of the things that dragons, that we know about them, in the time of ESO, are is complete unknowns. They don't really know what they are. They just seem like these destroying machines. So that's one of the other things in there. And then there's also a piece of the Staff of Chaos, which we find out about um, a little bit later, and that's during the Imperial Simul- Simulacrum. Simulacrum. Uh, in the late Third Era, the ruins of the Hall Simulcarum. of the Simulacrum. I think you pronounced it best. Simulcarum? Simulcarum. Yeah, that's definitely Simulacrum in the late third era. Simulacrum. So during the quest of the very first Elder Scrolls game, Arena, which I mentioned earlier, one of the pieces of the Staff of Chaos is hidden inside there by Jagar Tharn. So it's one of the first dungeons in the entire series. Sorry, it's not the first dungeon. It's like the fourth or fifth or sixth one. I don't remember the order. One of the first. It's one of the main dungeons of the very first game from decades ago. Yeah, that's which is awesome that there's kind of that uh, callback to that when we're talking about elsewhere that they still are pulling back to those arena games, which a lot of the time, like you would think at this time they'd be like, oh, we don't know how much is going to be a callback, but ESO does a great job of calling back to the earlier games, so I'm happy mm-hmm. with that. Um, to be fair, El- Arena did. Is basically the only real source for half of the stuff about the continent. It's true, yeah. Yeah, because the other games only touch their respective zones. So I think, unless anybody else has anything to add, when we talk about kind of just the area of Elsewhere, that kind of gives us a good understanding of what Elsewhere geographically is like. But probably the better thing we want to talk about now is the people of Elsewhere. So, so we kind of covered the Akaviri and the Imperials that are there. Um, just the only real stuff we've got going on is who came there during the most recent events and the fact that Akaviri were in Riven. So that means the last people to go over is really Khajiit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is one They're note just... about the Akaviri, though. Oh, um, go for it. I missed it. Yeah, so there is the, the Potentate. Does it, uh, Alara, do you oh. read the section about the Potentate just so we can cover off who that is? Or do you know who the Akaviri potentate is? Um, as I put you on the spot, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know more about the Khajiit than I do about the Akaviri. Okay, well, so I can answer. AKB, go ahead. The potentate is basically the leader of the empire. If they don't have an emperor and they 
can't get one on the throne. So basically, the potentate is just the Akaviri potentates were just these two Akaviri guys who said, you know what, I'm going to be the emperor now, but I'm not taking the title so you guys don't get mad at me. So they did that. They eventually got killed by the Moritong, spoilers for the second era, the end of the first era <laughs> stuff. Uh, after that happened, the Akavir ran over to Rimen, going like, yo, we're getting kicked out of Cyrodiil, this is bad. And the Khajiit, in their normal way, were just kind of apathetic about the whole thing. That's a... That is very Khajiit-like for them to kind of just be like, well, that's the way things are. They're kind of a little bit laissez-faire that way. And their culture of the Khajiit, is very apathetic to basically everything. Yeah, that seems to happen outside of their own domain. It's very much of a cover there. So... While we start talking about the Khajiit there, probably one of the biggest questions that always comes up and kind of the most interesting aspects of the Khajiit is the first ox. So there's a number of different um, varieties of Khajiit. There are 16 distinct ones, but there's eight kind of main versions of them because they have a suffix to some of the versions called a rot, which is a bit which changes their physical appearance. But Lost, do you kind of want to go over what the first docs are? How do they come to be? And what are the kind of the differences between them? Sure. Or I can do this part too. Since oh, go for it. Go part. for it, Laura. Okay, Laura yeah, actually knows part this part No, but more about. So, um, yeah, like Pylon said, there's um, 16 types. But we're going to, yeah, just go over eight of them. Because basically you just add rot to the end for a slightly bigger variety. So, um, to begin with, there's... Uh, also, the first docs are based on um, what phases the moons are when they're born so the moons as we know are very important to Khajiit culture and that's one reason why so one type are the sench which are a large quadruped and they're sometimes used as mounts although if you talk to you know one or two of them in elsewhere they'll insist that you don't call them that <laughs> <laughs> yeah now this is something you've got to be careful with because if you go to um Kanathi's roost and do some of the quests there. You'll notice that Khajiit also used the word sench for essentially animals, non-speaking animals. And technically those should be sench tigers and sench lions. Yeah, but they yeah. probably just shorten um, it as kind of a colloquial term. Uh-huh. Which yeah. I'm sure now, the other sench this love. Is, this gets even worse because then another phrase is Ja Khajiit, which it, they can refer to just as, oh, that's just a cat. But it can also be a Khajiit. So you it's their language is basically they're going like if it's a cat, you can basically call it a Khajiit, but there's a few subsets that are actual Khajiit that can mm -hmm. talk and everything. Yeah, and um there was an early QA when the game was first launched about, you know, are these creatures that are called centrally actually Khajiit or not? And basically how it was, was explained was that um, the animals that we see are just animals. Um, some Khajiit can kind of sense an intelligence in them that other races cannot, but they're not the actual uh, Khajiit subspecies. But we do see them in um, elsewhere. So if you got the um, the uh, collector's edition pre-ordered, then um, you can get one as mount, and then there's some just also around the cities. Yeah, it's so, a uh, mount. Yep, Sentrot. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, I think earlier Laura suggested that they were like as tall as two Altmer and as big as or as heavy as twenty of them, but that's and, like, as we know just an exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, no, that one seems to be a bit of an exaggeration. Now, they're supposed that, to be like yeah. mammoths. Now that's a very big sticking point because originally when the concept was introduced, it was kind of a band aid to fix the fact that the Khajiit have been changed drastically in every game they appeared in. Arena, Daggerfall, uh, Redguard, Morrowind, well, they were actually not in Battlespire uh, at all. Uh, Arena, Daggerfall, Redguard, all portrayed them very differently. So obviously the fans are going like, that's very weird. Like, one time (laughs) they were people, the next time they had tails, and now they're just cats. So what's going on? So they said, okay, you have all these different kinds of Khajiit. We're not really going to talk about them. We're just going to give you a little bit of overview of some of them. And this was back in like 2001. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to like, I want to say, when did ESO come out? Like 2012? 2014. Okay. Um, we've only, they, Bethesda finally stuck to one kind of Khajiit, Suthayrat. We're just going to see Suthayrats from now on. Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim, they were all Suthayrat. Come ESO, Zenimax uh, said the same thing. It's a Suthayrat. Oh, by the way, the rest of the Khajiit first docs aren't a thing anymore. Don't worry about it. No, they didn't I remember say that. that. It, no. was, it was said at It was point. implied, but it wasn't a distinct mm-hmm. saying there are no other Khajiit first docs. Right. There was like a lore book that basically said that um, there are very, very minor differences so basically, you know, quadruped yeah. wouldn't were, be a thing. They basically wanted to canonize it at yeah. the start because they had parts of elsewhere in there and they didn't yeah. really have the power to go like, we have to create these 16 distinct people for this one little territory. And that book is mm-hmm. sort of egregious because it says that there's an imperial talking to Tukajit and she says, you know, this is my daughter and I'm an Ohm's rot, and she's a Sench rot. Thus, we're completely different. And he says, well, you look the same to me. But we know now, and we thought before, that Ohm's rot and Sench rot were very different. And- Ohm's rot basically was like, I, I hate to say it, but it's the traditional cat girl kind of appearance. Yeah. They look like humans, Smaller but they have and- cat ears and tails. tails. Well, basically, they were said to look basically like a Bosmer, and that they'd even um, that, tattoo their faces the to have. Well, they oh, both right. look like Bosmer, just the Ohms rot basically. also have fur and a tail. Yeah, and right. the Ohms, it's like you can't tell apart if they don't mm-hmm. tell you. Right, so uh, they often tattoo their faces, actually, with kind of cat markings to but distinguish this, themselves. But to get back to the point where this is going to obviously be a controversy, because they did contradict themselves multiple times but was basically to fix this for future stuff was they said okay you're playing a Suthay Rot in ESO come ESO elsewhere they're saying you're playing a Cathay Rot the Cathay Rot is your normal uh, Khajiit you saw in Oblivion, Skyrim and ESO the Suthay Rot was the one in Morrowind and now uh, you have the Alms Rot for Daggerfall, the Alms in Arena, and all the other ones that they created because they wanted it to be even more inconvenient for themselves. <laughs> I mean, clearly, the Khajiit in Morrowind are not the same as the Khajiit yes, in and Oblivion and 
Skyrim because of the way they walk. So and no matter what, Morrowind, there was going to be a contradiction. Uh, go yeah. ahead, I'm sorry. In Morrowind, they're digity grade, which means that they walk on the toes right. and they can't wear boots. Whereas in Oblivion, Skyrim, and ESO, they're plantar grade, which means they have flat feet like a human or a bear or you know, some animal like that. Um, and it, you know, how can they be the same same first dog? It doesn't doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, and a lot um, of that but, I imagine was originally just they they thought this looked cool, so they designed them to look X way, and then they realized afterwards that people uh, didn't like not being sh- able to do things like wear boots. But yeah. I was under the impression that the thing where they said uh, the start start of when they first started saying talking about elsewhere, when they said that actually they're Cathay Rock, I thought that was a mistake. Well, I did ask them during Pax East, and they said that's what they thought it was. And if you, uh, there is they an event. They weren't like hundred percent positive. There's an event in uh, ESO elsewhere where the playable Khajiit says, "I am a Cathay Rot." Uh, then the other ones you see go like, "I'm a Doggy Rot." I'm a Sunch Rot. I'm a Toje Rot. No, it was was it Toje Rot? No, Palmer Rot. Um, Doggy, he said. Yes, Doggy Rot is there. Uh, Toje Rot is one of the few that we have not yet yes, seen. Yes, we so. don't see any Toje. Mm-hmm. Or any except in statues. Steps. Oh, do we see a statue of one? Yeah, there so. are some. Okay, there are some statues. One, yeah, yeah, and we actually saw a bunch of them in uh, Legends too. Some of the art. Yes. So, um, yeah, going through some of the other kinds that we haven't. And that's yet. another part of this is that <laughs> Legends basically said most of them kind of look the same as normal Khajiit, except bigger. Which people were like, "Oh, weren't the Palmyra rot supposed to be?" Uh, quadrupeds too, mm-hmm. and the original document doesn't really say that. It, yeah, says, it says they're, they're like, like tigers. tigers. And yeah, the Palmer, the Palmer rods um, on the Legends card to me looks like Tony the Tiger. <laughs> they're yes. great. Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically the Zenimax team had to have said we have a giant mess of stuff that has never yeah. actually appeared in game, but was established and has been contradicted at least four times since then. So they just said, you know what? We're just giving you what we're going to give you. You have mm-hmm. to, because we can't give you a perfect version because people will have ways to complain about this no matter what we do. Yeah. So, Alara, before we go too much further, so we've covered the Senche. <laughs> They're the qua- large quadruped. Senche. There's mm-hmm. a Senche rot mm-hmm. and the Senche. Um, I would say Senche rot, but Senche, which is funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. why. Um but we've covered them. So we discussed the other ones, but do you want to kind of go over and give a brief description of each of the different uh, first With thoughts? no interruptions. With no interruptions. <laughs> nobody talk okay. over her. Go. Yeah. So we also mentioned the Ohms and Omsrat, which were the ones that were like Bosmer and Omsrat have tails. So Arena and Daggerfall. And Suthe, Suthe Rat are like the ones you see in Morrowind. Um, the Cathay, I guess, are the basically the playable race. They're called Jaguar Men. Um, and we do see one of those in a card in Legends as well. Toje is one of the ones that we haven't seen. And um, I think actually there is a statue of them. Um, if you like look in the store, um, AKB, and there's like a couple of bundles there. But um, You'll have to walk me through it because I've not looked <laughs> at this thing in years. Okay. So uh, yeah, go to the store. Um, let me bring up Skype so I can see. Do and then, do the um, others? Yeah, so while Alara's pulling that up, do you want to okay. go... <laughs> so, yeah, the Toe one where they basically told us nothing before now, but we, I think we have a statue. 
Uh, the yeah, doggy. they live in the uh, southern marshes and jungle regions um, and the right. Tenmar Forest, the Toje. Which Tenmar we're going to talk about again in a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. The doggy are supposed to be pretty small. Like they're so small they can climb to higher branches than even Bosmer can. So there's a really cool book called Mixed Unit Tactics that talks about multiple types of Khajiit being used to fight some Bosmer. And the doggy hide up really, really high in branches Bosmer can't reach. And then Alfiq, the other one, is basically house cats. They are they don't like to be called almost that. indistinguishable from house cats, but they're completely – they're persons, just they're in the body of a house cat. They can cast spells. They can talk. They wear awesome clothing, and they're also mentioned in the mixed unit tactics as possibly being the spellcasters that went with the doggy to rain magical death down upon the Bosmer. I really hope I haven't seen it anywhere, but I do hope that there's an Elfique spellcasting animation somewhere. I hope so. I really hope we get to see that at some point in the game. So that would be awesome. Oh, and the Pomar, which we mentioned, are being like tigers. Um, elsewhere is portraying them as being massive. Uh, anything tall, I've seen, tall, not they stand, big, but lanky. <laughs> yeah, they stand like it seems head and shoulders above any like other, like twice as tall. Person. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't really see your screen that well, AKB, but if you, I think it should be in featured. There's um, furnishing packages for elsewhere. Featured. I I have sky shards. Um, let me see. It's sad. I don't want to buy these. <laughs> I can't anyway. Yeah, so when we go through that, there is also one other type of Khajiit that's a very specific type of Khajiit, and that's the main as we were talking about before. Um, and that's a Khajiit that's born specifically during a lunar eclipse, if I remember correctly. And they're considered to be essentially gods amongst the Khajiit. They're like a god that has been born. Um, other Khajiit will shave off their manes. And to some degree, these locks are woven into the mane for the mane so that they actually become a big, so heavy that they can't even walk anymore. Um, yeah, and, they- and I think if you talk to um, the, I can't remember which one it is, but one of the ones that is potentially becoming the mane and yes. ESO, they say that that's kind of a more ancient practice and that the wear, like, you know, maybe some braids are personal guard, but obviously it's not really a practical thing for them. And yeah. then also a note, I checked the furnishings, and they actually seem to have removed it from the PTS. But oh. they did have statues of some of the different types. It was a thing. It was, yeah. I have yeah. screenshots somewhere. <laughs> I linked it. I okay. linked screenshot. Oh, okay. Awesome. So uh, the main is seen as this like spiritual leader, yeah. and there's supposed to only be one at any given time. There's no historical record of there ever being like a secession conflict of trying to figure out who's supposed to be the next one it's always been handled correctly there's never been war over trying to instate a new main well there was a conflict in ESO itself Uh, that's part of the plot of the Alberic side because because one has been utterly corrupted but basically everybody that follows the actual the faith that is involved in the moons and the lunar lattice, they're establishing a new one because his right to be the main has been rescinded, essentially. And part of the conflict there is that they're twins. So there's not Both just one. at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
Which but only one kind of gets around the fact role. that part of the thing they said was the main just gets reincarnated. So it, it kind of fixes some things by them saying, oh, they were twins, but... Yeah, it, well, the main can't just be reincarnated because the uh, the old main's still alive. But and they, the girls are teenagers, adults. But they want to believe that. You can have spirit just jump on over and yeah, they. That's what I was gonna say. That's fine. <laughs> um, body, uh, Grand Theft Body, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> body, the bo- invasion of the body snatchers. I'm not saying it's a possession. I'm saying it's like a mantle that gets passed on. Basically, the main is a ghost that possesses Khajiit, as Lost just explained. I, I said the opposite of that. That's not what I said. <laughs> yeah, and so there's. In light of that, there's also other types of Khajiit that have to deal with the corruption. And uh, Bertrand, do you remember those? The Dramathra. Dramathra. Oh, well, the Dramathra. It, they're it's, interesting. It's strange. They're supposed to be. Uh, they look great. They're, they're like kind of black with with bright blue. They look super cool. Yeah. They look really cool. They're all swirly. <laughs> and. They are supposed to be Khajiiti individuals who've become corrupted during their life, resulting in their souls being claimed by Namira. Um, and the term Dramathra could mean something like ghost cats, lost cats, children of law cards, you know, something something like that. And you actually meet them uh, in several cats, places. One of them, Ben cats, yeah. Which is you the meet... most evocative. I love that one. Yeah. Which. You meet... um... Also, it's important to remember that normal Khajiit are, in fact, called straight cats because of that, too, which is bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Baratron. Uh, you see Dromathra in Fort Grimwatch, Moonmont, and more of Lacage in Reaper's March. And also, rather oddly, although it makes sense with the story, uh, in the Sathran Plantation in Stonefalls. And the reason why they show up in Stonefalls is because uh, due to the Ebonheart Pact, it's no longer legal to enslave Argonians. So what do you do if you're a rich guy and you've got a farm? Oh, well, you get some Khajiit slaves instead. (laughs) That's some problem solving for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Slave owner problem solving 101 there. So that's that's how come they, they show up in Stonefalls. Now, one of the things that we haven't mentioned here is we've talked a bit about the idea of the original main getting cor- corrupted by the dark main. The dark main was actually summoned by, and this is this is where it gets interesting, by Javad Tharn, yeah. who's a nephew of Abnathan. Oh look, we've got Tharns. Tharns hmm. getting all over. Tharns uh, getting elsewhere. all over the place. Yeah. And his idea in the Reaper's March storyline was to invade with an army of Colovians and to align himself with the Dromathra in an attempt to destroy the Ordinary Dominion. So, yeah, Tharns showing up, causing trouble. Yep, Tharns always get in there. Um, so now that we're kind of talking a little bit more about like the culture of the Khajiit, um, what is kind of some of the important things in... Khajiit culture, Khajiiti culture. Like, I'll probably look to loss oh, here. Uh, oh, I want to cut in and say that they did actually name the 16 kingdoms in Elsewhere Lore. I can't believe I actually ran into the book that went over. <laughs> they were Nequinal, uh, Rimen, Riverhold, Dune, Orkrest, Burkarth, Mervel, Helkim, 
Alabaster, Gruca, Corinth, Palantine, Tenmar, Torval, Clenrithra, and Sinchal. So eight of those are the major cities of elsewhere in Arena. Like mm-hmm. they brought all those names over. Mm-hmm. Actually, all the major cities in Arena they kept bringing forward essentially. And then several other of those seem like they're corruptions or changes. Like there was a place called Maryvale in Arena that I think is Mirvale now. So yeah, significant names they keep bringing back. Yeah. They keep going back to the well with Arena. It's great. <laughs> Which is awesome. So when we're talking about culture, just kind of back where we were, kind of what are the things that are important to Khajiit culture? Like uh, I know you mentioned or we mentioned here that um, their clan mothers are kind of the outside of the main kind of like the spiritual leaders. So a little bit of a more of a matriarchal style of um, community there. Well, but, yeah. One thing to remember is that the main doesn't have to be male as we actually see from the for sure. Um, from the story from the twins that there is the possibility. Yeah. yeah, the main doesn't have to be a male. Um, the clan mothers, I think, do have to be female, though. I don't believe there's any instances of a male clan mother. Uh, if it's a male clan mother, it's just called a clan daddy. <laughs> <laughs> clan daddy. Um, but but I don't know because can't yeah, you get a clan father title when you buy the? There's that fancy house and you get a, a title for buying the one the, the mansion in. Deepest March. Possibly, but I'm guessing that a clan father, if that's a role they recognize it might regularly, be a different role than a does something mother. different than yeah. what a clan mother does. Oh. That would be my guess as well. But outside of that, what are the other things, Lost, I'll look to you to start this conversation off, that are kind of very important to Khajiit culture? So the absolute biggest thing, the first thing I would ever think to mention is the moons. Like everything about who they are, both physically and spiritually, is tied back to the moons. Um, the reconciliation of the northern and the southern kingdoms into elsewhere was because of recognizing the force of the moons. That's called the Riddlethar. And following that is what allowed them to be at peace with one another because the shifting of the moons represents the shifting of power. And so there's times where the tribe leaders to the north have more control over elsewhere. There's times where the merchants to the south have more control. And the main just guides that constant shifting of power in accordance with the way the moons work. And then moons are also seen as being really significant to one of their most important foodstuffs, which whoever wants to jump in, go ahead and talk about that. <laughs> Alara. Alara should. Alara. <laughs> where is your stuma? Do you have it on the you right contribute I have my stuma, yes. <laughs> I can see that. So yeah, this is the skooma from the official cookbook. I'm waiting for it to infuse for a couple weeks. So, so what's skooma made out of in fiction? Um, in fiction, it's uh, distilled from moon sugar and it's a special kind of sugar cane that's often grown in um, elsewhere. They use it in um, their food. They, as we said, drink skooma. All because you tend to have a sweet tooth. So from what I remember being told is the kind of the better way to to think about moon sugar is less of the like it being a hard drug and more like catnip for a cat yeah is that kind of like the way that it works is like it makes them they don't think of it as a full it like moon sugar itself isn't like a narcotic as we would claim it to be here but when it's converted into skooma is when it gets its addictive qualities but the Khajiit yeah. have um, built up such a resistance to it 
that it's not as bad for them as it is the other race. Yeah, I do remember a scene in the novels where um, uh, Salsa the Atropus something to the effect of, oh, you only need to have one bite of this because, you know, Munchiger doesn't affect Khajiit as much as it would affect us. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, because the Khajiit have built up their resistance. So, yeah. I mean, it does affect non-Khajiit as well. Yeah, if you're so, not a Khajiit, you should not take Moon Sugar. Moon Sugar, yeah, it's And you should super... definitely not take Skuma. It moon sugar basically is just extraordinarily sweet. It's <laughs> not like it's too sweet for most people. For the uh, that's why people go like if you go to elsewhere, all the food's just going to be too sweet for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made mention of some of the foods that are staples of their diet. They mentioned cakes and puddings and sugar meats. Just everything they eat is apparently sweet. Yes. Yeah, if you look in the official cookbook, there's like, you know, glazed carrots and uh, honey pudding and just, mm. yeah, lots of stuff like that. Now, uh, one of the interesting things that, that about Skuma is that uh, in Skyrim, uh, an Argonian claims that Skuma was actually created by Dunmer. And this is the only time someone's mentioned someone creating it. Now, ESO does talk about Skuma being used by the Khajiit, but it's talked about like, it doesn't establish that they created it themselves, and it says that the Two Moons Temples very closely controls it, and it's only used basically as a uh, religious experience for them. Yeah. So, okay, I, I don't know all of the sources on that side, but to my understanding, Skuma is completely forbidden by any sort of legal authority, even in elsewhere. But moon sugar isn't just sweet; it does have other properties, yeah. and they use mm-hmm. it for their religious experiences. Yeah. Uh, right. Moon sugar, I mean, they use it for just normal cooking. Like, yeah, they cook uh, with it. Yeah, it seems like, uh, like from what I've kind of just understand, it's, I guess, probably the most modern example of that would be something along the lines of marijuana, where if it's done, it if you have it in a certain way. It's going to be hallucinogenic, but when it's just consumed normally, there's some components of it that will render a little bit of a high for a person. Uh, maybe poppy. Well, poppy, poppy, poppy probably seeds versus poppy seeds would probably be opium. Potentially, but you said there's st- there is still like a an effect that they get from moon sugar. Probably so. So, oh, well, we there definitely yeah. is. I, I'm, sorry, I'm not sure if they get an actual effect. I might, I might be wrong about that, but yeah, I, I, I could, think it's literally just super sweet to them. Yeah, yeah. I'm tempted to hunt down that uh, <laughs> that section in the book. I, I'm almost positive that moon sugar, not skooma, is used in religious experiences because it does sort of have catnipish effects. Yeah. Right. And I, um, I think that scene in the book, um, there's some kind of ritual, like when they're meeting with the caravan, like to establish that they're, you know, guests or allies or whatever, something to that effect. And moon sugar mythologically, well, not mythologically, it originated from the Tenmar forest and then has sort of been spread throughout elsewhere and they grow it on plantations. And moon sugar is closely regulated by clan mothers. They're in charge of their own supplies of it. They're the ones in charge of how it gets used, how it gets distributed. And it's basically a closely guarded crop, just like coffee used to be and tea used to be way back in the day people didn't want their secrets to get out and other people to make their very special ingredients so outside of moon sugar too kind of the two of the more prominent features that i think everybody kind of associates with 
Khajiit is kind of their thief cultures and their merchant cultures. That's kind of what we associate Khajiit with. Like the Khajiit has wares if you have coin meme that always pops <laughs> up. Or or even this one did nothing wrong and a picture of a cat getting carried away. That's kind of what we think of when we think of Khajiit. Um, and Bertrand, do you want to kind of dig into where that kind of comes from? I think you've posted for the thieves, like some of the oblivion descriptions and the game yeah. have really reinforced this. Yeah. So, um, in oblivion, the description of the Khajiit was hailing from the province of elsewhere. They are intelligent, quick and agile. They make excellent thieves due to their natural agility and unmatched acrobatic skill. All Khajiit can see in the dark. Um, now obviously things do change but uh, in ESO they said the racial skills of the feline Khajiit reflect their natural agility giving them bonuses to pickpocketing stealth stamina recovery and weapon damage yeah and one of the gods they even revere is a thief and even their um, kind of like the suffixes they give that their people I believe Dar is one of them which is it's not is it not it's not of the thief it's like it's Okay, so when you like that. Dar, it, it could mean you're a thief, but it could also mean that you're clever. Can't yeah, you? it means you. Yeah, it's not necessarily that you're a thief, as in you just steal things. It's you. You exhibit the attributes of a thief. You may be clever, cunning, agile, uh, quick-witted, and witty, and things like that. So it's a term of reverence instead of just like a oh, he's a thief because they consider thieves to not just be people that steal property because Khajiit have a very different view of how property works. Not quite. Mm -hmm. I think like they make some jokes about like the Imperial beliefs on how of possession and stuff like that. Cause it's more of a, if I, if I have it right now, it's mine, but it might be taken away from me. It's kind of Mm -hmm. a fleeting nature of possession. Yeah. Uh, That's something that um, shows up in the, uh, there's, there's a, the Bandari um, rules. Except cause you don't really believe in rules. Um, The closest Mm -hmm word to rules in the Khajiit language is foolish concepts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to Jizrini or something. I, I, I haven't actually heard it. Not sure how to pronounce it. No. Uh, so I did oh. find the passage in the book about or they're um, with Khajiit and stuff and um, they do say um, it's a drug, same stuff that makes Guma out of. They don't seem to be fe- feeling ill effects. Because they're Khajiit, they eat the same stuff every day in some form or another, and they're more naturally tolerant of it. So, yeah, the moon sugar itself, it sounds like, is... Well, they literally say it's also a drug. Yes, but for not for everyone but Khajiit. Yeah, but Khajiit just treat it as a spice, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, they're saying they eat it every day, but yeah. um, that natural okay. tolerance doesn't help them with skooma. I mean, there's other yeah. examples of this. There's that uh, drug called Daryl, which we see during the... I want to say East March quest line, and some Nords have got got hold of it and uh, making themselves horribly ill and then die. Um, <laughs> yeah. But for uh, Argonian drugs, yeah, Argonian drugs. Yeah, yeah. So then, in their other kind of the side of the thief coin is their like merchant culture, um, and the Bandari is kind of the. The Bandari is an interesting one. Is that are they? They were exiled from elsewhere. Is that correct? I'm trying to remember the lore behind the Bandari. Hmm. I believe it's it was a clan that was exiled from elsewhere, or am I thinking of a different clan? 
I do not know. I'm, not, I'm trying to remember <laughs> that now. So we'll dig back. We'll try to look that up in a little bit. Um, but they have these set of bylaws kind of that the merchants exhibit and go by um, in their kind of like when they are functioning as merchants. And uh, Bertrand, do you kind of want to go over them? I know you added them in. I did because I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Uh, so you got the there's, there's essentially there's these three bylaws, um, although these these are the written bylaws and they may be contradicted by unwritten bylaws. But of course, the unwritten bylaws can't be written because then they wouldn't be unwritten. It's basically <laughs> what it says. And the bylaws of salvage says sometimes objects are loose and uncontained, being neither in pocket, in drawer or in hand. Such objects are abandoned and may be lawfully salvaged, for clearly no one cares enough about them to see them properly contained. It is meet and commendable for a bandari to salvage an object thus abandoned, for a bandari is thrifty and deplores waste. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the next one's the bylaw of prophecy. Frequently town biders offer bandari payment in return for advice and prophecy regarding events yet to come. In this transaction, a client must be told that which would be most pleasing to hear, for it is a serious breach of etiquette to offend a client with words that are unkind or unwanted. To prevent such a breach, it is meet and commendable for a bandari to spend time with sharp ears in the local inn or tavern, so as to ascertain what advice might best please potential local clients. <laughs> and then uh, yeah. about the... The bylaw of guarantees, which which basically says that uh, you know true bandari sells only the finest yeah. goods and wares. Um, but yes, I just it's just those two, the, the salvage <laughs> and the prophecy. I'm just very, very, um, a very good example of the Kaji culture. <laughs> yeah. So, and then when we're looking at the culture, kind of their religion is another kind of major point of what they how Khajiit exists. So Lost, do you want to, do you know kind of some, a little bit about the religion, where it came from and how we know about it there? So I think the best way to talk about it is just sort of to skip over to the creation myth. If yeah. somebody else wants to look at, <clears throat> look at a specific deity, you can, but I think the creation myth puts it best. Yeah, I agree. Okay. No other takers. Great. So their creation myth, which they insist is the right one, and all of their deities that have very similar names to other deities are completely distinct individuals. But they say that there were originally two cats, Honor and Fatomai, and they were the only cats around, and they decided to be happy and start having children. And so they did, and they gave birth to lots and lots of cats, and then Fatomai wanted more, and so they gave birth to more. And these all represent the various deities that are really significant. Things like Alkosh, Srendar, Meruns, Shegareth, just all sorts of very identifiable figures they gave birth to. And then Honor didn't want to have children Honor didn't want to have children anymore, but Fatimai did, so she tricked him and started giving birth to more. The significant ones that she gave birth to were the Jacage, which are the moons at, yeah, just the moons and the motions the moons go through. She gave birth to Nerni, and she gave birth to Azura. And that's when Honor found out and hit her, and she was dying from a mortal wound that he delivered her. She ran away, and all her children came to protect her, and she gave birth to her last child, which was called Lorcash. And then as she was dying, she gave some instructions to some of her most recent children on what they were supposed to do. She 
gave the jacage the lattice, which is later called the lunar lattice, which is supposed to be this big protection that keeps Honor out. He cannot cross past the lunar lattice. And then to Nerni, she gave her the gift that she was going to have many children, as many or more than Nerni, her, than Fatomai had given. And Nerni was really happy about that. And Nerni and Azura were rivals, always competing for their mother's attention. So uh, Nerni was happy because, hey, I got this gift and Azura's got nothing. Awesome. And she wandered <laughs> off. So Azura is the only one left. And Fatomai gives her what she says is her greatest gift. Though, actually, she told Nerni what she was giving her was the greatest gift. So I don't know what Fatimai's deal is. She didn't But she told favorites. Azura three secrets, and then she gave her instructions. She said, once Nerni has children, take a people and change them. You need to make them the fastest, the cleverest, and the most beautiful people on all of the world and call them Khajiit. They need to be the best climbers because if the moons are ever messed up in their pads, they need to climb up and fix them. They need to be the best deceivers because they have to hide their true nature from Anur's children. And they need to be the best survivors because Nerni is going to be angry at them and she's going to take the deserts and the forests and make them harsh and unwelcoming so that they'll have a hard time surviving. They will always be at war with the world, essentially. And then Fatimai dies. Going on from there, Nerni gets the help of Lorcaj to make a place so that she has space to have children. And Lorcaj does it, but he's got some darkness in him. He tricks everybody, and everybody is stuck inside of the place that he makes. But Nerni gets over it because she's able to have children. Everyone else gets really mad, and they tear out Lorcaj's heart and bury it in the ground. And he's stuck to wander around heartless. Then... The favorite people that Nerni has are the forest people, but they don't have a consistent shape. So Azura comes in and says, oh, I'll help you. I can make these people something special. And so Nerni's really happy that Azura is doing something nice for her. So Azura uses her first secret to go past the moons. So she's able to go through the lunar lattice, and she forms the people into Khajiit, making them a form for every purpose, and she puts them in the best deserts and the best forests. And she uses her second secret to teach the Khajiit who they are, what they're there for, and that their secrets are really important and they need to be able to keep secrets too. And then she uses her third secret, and the moons shine light down and it becomes moon sugar. So one of the three cosmic secrets is moon sugar. Yeah. <laughs> and then one other spirit named Ifer, he hears the first secret of Azura and follows after her. And he tells Nerni what's up. And that makes Nerni really mad, so she makes the deserts hot and brutal, and she makes the jungles wet and poisonous to make it hard for the Khajiit. And Ifer, because he has no subtlety at all, starts shouting the first secret to everybody. <laughs> so all of her children are able to cross through the lunar lattice. However, because Azura is very wise, she stops the ears of Honor so that he can't break in and deal with all of the children. And she stops the ears of Lorcaj so he cannot escape. And that is the end of their creation myth. <sighs> yeah, that's a lot of talking. So <laughs> what's interesting with their creation myth is how similar it lines up, even with names to all of the other kind of creation myths, like Lorcaj versus Lorcan, Azura versus Azura. Like we have a number of the... Um, the Adra kind of pull over through 
to these different creation myths, which is an interesting way that they've kind of gone about it so that we can see that there is seem to be somewhat of a central truth amongst all of the creation myths that we can kind of understand and believe, but we don't know for which kind of nuanced version is true or if maybe all of them are true and it's just different parts of it that we're hearing different parts of these stories of the creation myths. So, yeah, when when you read the whole thing, you'll see there's analogs of of the eight divines. There's analogs of the Daedric princes. You've got yeah. uh, Lorcas. You've got Magrus, who's um, an analog of Magnus. You've got Ifa, who's a version of, of the elven god Ifrit. Um, there's also some Khajiit specific gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joan and Jode. Yeah, are that's the, the ones I two, wanted to bring up too. Two moons, and Jode is what they call Massa, the big the big moon. And Joan is what they call Secunda, which is the small moon. And Joan and Jode together are the big moon god and the, the small moon god, little moon god, who formed the Lorna Lattice, which governs the shape of the Khajiit. Um, I think the other gods they've got, they acquired later, uh, it's sort of acquired later. Yeah, such as like um, the Riddlethar, as we exactly, talked about before, so, is more of a... Yeah, Rajan was supposed to be the best ever thief. Yeah. Who was a mortal, presumably, a, yeah. a, a, the best ever thief, and who at some point died and was then revered as a god. Yeah, kind of ascended to godhood after a mortal said, life. Yeah, kind of essentially. Yeah. He said to have stolen a tattoo from the neck of an empress. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Yeah, would be really good. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Bandar is the bandit god. And according to a lot, a lot of these names come from, there's literally one law book, um, which is Varieties of Faith in the Empire. Uh, which means that uh, we, you know we have our UESP page about the gods of various of the various um, races, and you know most of this information has come from literally one law book. But uh, apparently, Bandar is regarded as the pariah, and in this aspect, uh, Bandar becomes the cleverness or the desperate genius of the long-suffering Khajiit, whose last-minute plans always upset the machinations of their enemies, where where it's implied that the enemies are. Elven or human. That's kind of interesting. Um, that that you know some of some of the gods are analogs of the the other races' gods, and then yeah. the ones that are specific to Khajiit are very much specific to. You've got the you've got the moons which govern their shape. You've got a thief, a trickster, a bandit. Uh, it's very very much uh, in keeping <laughs> with, with their with their culture. Yeah. So the creation myth, uh, basically all of that comes from a source, I think, called the Words of Clan Mother Anissi, mm-hmm. which yeah. I definitely recommend oh, cool. reading. It's very well written. It's a pretty cool source. And as is probably obvious, even though we've spent so long going over this stuff, we are only scratching the surface oh, yeah. of what there's sources so are out there. So there's plenty more stuff to delve into if you guys are curious. Yeah, great place to find some of that stuff either in-game or obviously, as you all know, go to UESP.net and just type in Khajiit, type in elsewhere, kind of just start digging through those articles. There's so many things in there that are, yeah, as we said, we're just touching the surface. Like we didn't want to go on for six hours. I think we easily could have (laughs) wanted to just going through and talking about the different minute details of elsewhere, but and we hope the impressive of- part of that is that the Khajiit aren't even one of the most covered races in the lore. No, but after <laughs> elsewhere chapter comes out, 
they it's going to get even more. There's yeah. going to be even more stuff to pour over, which is great and pretty exciting because they've got one of the more interesting stories to read about. Yeah. So we hope we've given you a decent overview of the lore of Elsewhere that you can use as a bit of a guide before you dive into the chapter itself next week if you're on PC or then in two weeks, I believe it is, or three weeks if you're a console player. I think it's June 4th. It's for consoles is coming out. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. 20th of May for PC for the early access, uh, as they call it, and then the June 4th for consoles. So hopefully this gives you a bit of a chance to understand a little bit more about the culture, understand a little bit more where things are coming from, so that when you get in there and do the quests, you can see kind of like and remember like, oh, yeah, this is the story we heard about before. So. I think as far as that goes, that's a great place to end it for tonight. I think we've been on long enough and you've listened to us enough and are tired of our voices by now. So on behalf of everybody here, Lost in Hyrule, AKB, Alara, Baratron, and AKB's dancing Argonian right now, I uh, <laughs> want to wish you guys good luck and we'll talk to you again once Elsewhere is out. So we hope you all have fantastic adventures in Nern and enjoy your time there. And uh, traditional, so traditional Khajiit farewells, may you walk on warm sands. May you walk <laughs> on warm sands. Mm-hmm.